What on earth is God doing today? We're going to find out from John chapter 5. Plus, we're going to do another Doctrines You Should Know, this time just an easy one. We'll look at the Trinity. And we all know that we should read the Bible with our kids. But what about teaching them doctrines? We'll be having a look at how to catechize your toddler. My name is Tom Habib, and you're listening to The Word Grows. get started in just a second. Now, just a reminder that uh, if you like this show, please do share it on uh, Facebook, social media, um, and also uh, go over to iTunes and subscribe. Thanks to those who've left uh, comments as well, reviews. Uh, that really helps as well. So make sure you go over and leave a review. Uh, the other thing is I have been getting some feedback. So thank you so much for that feedback. And the overwhelming uh, response from the feedback is that this is going too long. Um, so clearly uh, a lot of people aren't as in love with my voice as I am. And uh, uh, people have written in and have spoken to me personally and said, look, they really love the show, uh, but it's going a little bit too long. Um, even the, Apparently, I didn't get this feedback myself, but there was uh, feedback from a prominent uh, organiser of a uh, women's conference uh, who, will rename, who, who will remain nameless. Uh, she also happens to be the wife of a bishop, uh, apparently, she says, too long, uh, should be just half an hour. Uh, in all seriousness, I, I, I totally get that. Um, you know, if you're on the train or something like that, it only goes 30 minutes, 40 minute ride. Uh, you don't want something that goes too long. It's too hard to listen to in one go. So I have listened, I've heard, and I will change. So hopefully, starting from now, my episodes will only go for about 35 to 40 minutes. 35 minutes is what I'm targeting. Uh, so hopefully it will only go for 35 minutes. So I should probably stop talking about this now because I have less time. All right, well, let's get started. Today we are in John 5 and we are asking the question, what on earth is God doing? What is his work right now? Now, this is actually the question of John chapters 5 to 10. Uh, chapters 5 to 10 are a section, they're a unit, they're bracketed by two healing miracles that happen on the Sabbath, one in chapter, nine, uh, one in chapter 5 and one in chapter 9. And, uh, and we, we see that this section is really all about what God's work is in the world today. So John chapter 5, Jesus says, My father is still working, and I am also working. And we see what that work is. John chapter 9, Jesus says to his disciples, This came about so that the work of God might be displayed in him. So this section, uh, chapters 5 to 10, it's usually, seen, uh, it's usually understood to be about the controversy over who Jesus is. Uh, is he the son of God or not? And that's true. Uh, that's exactly what's going on in this. But the reason that this is being explored is because the son is claiming to be doing the father's work. And the son is claiming that he has come to do what God is doing. And so the reason this whole uh, issue of is Jesus the son of God, the reason that that's a, a big issue for the Jews is that Jesus uh, is claiming to be one with God and therefore claiming to be doing God's work on earth. So that's what we're going to be looking at uh, over this section, and especially today in John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at what is the work of God? What is God doing in the world today? And it's a really important question. Um, so you look at the world today, and you see it is really messed up, isn't it? Um, or maybe you personally, you're going through something horrible, and you want to know, where is God in all of this? What is God doing? Is he asleep? Is he, is he just not interested? Does he not care? Why doesn't he fix this world? Uh, someone I know um, ha has a job where they just see really horrible things every day. And, and you do. You just look at the world and you think, why is the world like this? What is God doing? 
And so it's important that we understand from John chapter 5 what God is doing in the world, uh, what his plan is. It's also a really important question, though, if you want your life to be lining up with God and his purposes, right? So if you, if you want to make sure that you are doing God's will, then you need to know what his work is. You need to know what he is on about so that you can get on board with God's work. Uh, and this is really important as well, because there's a lot of people who think that they're doing God's work, um, but it's not actually lining up with what God is doing in the world today. So that's what we're going to be looking at. What is God doing in the world? And we're having a look at John chapter 5. So we start with the miracle that happens in John chapter 5. And the key thing to understand about the miracle, the the key to understanding what it's all about, is to see that it is a sign, just like all the other signs. And the, the key part of the sign is that it happens on the Sabbath. So Jesus heals this man, this invalid. But the key thing is he does it on the Sabbath. And this sign is pointing to two things about Jesus that have to do with the Sabbath. The first is, is that Jesus has come to bring restoration to the world. Uh, so what, what is the Sabbath? The Sabbath was uh, where the Jewish people were commanded to rest one day of the week. But the Sabbath itself was a sign. Okay, So when God rested on the seventh day, I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Why, why did God rest? Uh, it's not because he was tired. God doesn't get tired. The reason God rested on the seventh day was because he was finished. Uh, His creation was complete and he was happy with it. He was content with it. He looked back and he went, ah, finished, good. This is what I wanted. And so that's exactly what, what God's rest represents, what the Sabbath represents. It represents a time where everything is good with the world, where everything is right. Um, But when Adam and Eve sinned, we're told they were kicked out of God's rest. Okay. They were kicked out of this seventh day where everything is right with the world. And so really, the story of the Bible could be summed up as the story of God bringing his people back into his rest. That is, bringing his people back into a time when everything is right with the world again. Uh, So so we see that. We we see that with the the command to to, uh, look at the Sabbath. It, It was a reminder of when God rested on the seventh day. But it was also a reminder of when God redeemed his people out of Egypt to bring them into his rest. Uh, When you look in the book of Joshua at at the conquest of the promised land, the promised land is described as God's rest. When Joshua defeats his enemies, we're told God gave his people rest from his enemies. So the story of the Bible is about God bringing his people back into his rest, into a time when everything is right with the world. Okay, so now we come to John 5 and Jesus comes on the Sabbath and he does a miracle that points to this rest. Uh, to this restoration. He is reversing the curse of the fall and he's bringing Sabbath rest to this man that he's healing. Okay, Uh, The the fact that he was an invalid is a a marker of the fact that we are not in God's rest. Everything is not right with the world. And when Jesus brings this miracle on the Sabbath, he's giving a clear sign that he has come to bring restoration to this world. He has come to bring this world back into God's rest. So that's the first thing the sign is pointing at. But there's another thing that, the, that this sign, this miracle is pointing at, and that is that Jesus does the work of his Father. In other words, Jesus does this miracle to show that he is doing what his Father, what his father is doing. And it's really interesting. When the Jews um, get angry at Jesus for working on the Sabbath, what is his defense? His defense is not, come on, guys, surely healing someone is okay on the Sabbath. Now, have, if you've got your Bibles, have a look at verse 17. But, but what, what we see in verse 17 is Jesus says, My Father is working... And I am working also. This is a massive claim that Jesus is making. He is saying that the Father is still at work to bring about Sabbath rest to the world. That's what the work of God is. And Jesus says, 
That is what I am doing. I am doing what the Father is doing. And this is what Jesus unpacks in the next few verses. This is one of the most detailed pictures we have of the relationship between the Father and the Son uh, from verse 17 onwards. Uh, and we learn a lot. Uh, look, at, look at what Jesus says. He says, um, whatever the, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does these things in the same way. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he is doing. Okay, so what we see is there's a clear relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Um, Jesus tells us God the Father reveals everything to the Son. In other words, there is no work that God is doing today, that God the Father is doing in the world today, that he doesn't reveal to his son. That is, that he doesn't invite his son to take part in. He shows everything to his son. He loves the son. That's why he shows him everything. But then we're told the son loves the father. And, though, and so because the son loves the father, he doesn't want to do anything that his father has not shown him. Jesus, the, the son never goes off on his own and does his own little side project. He only does what his father calls him to do and so we have this this perfect relationship of love between god the father and god the son god the father loves the son and therefore he shows him everything he's doing he includes the son in everything he's doing and the son loves the father and so he only does what his father shows him now at this point we could go into a long discussion about the trinity and we will uh, have a look at the trinity in our next segment but what i want to see is why jesus is telling us this in this passage okay why does this matter for this passage because this is the point if the father shows everything to the son in other words he shows him all the work that he's doing and the son does everything that the father shows him that means everything the father does the son does or to put it another way God is always at work in the world through his son. Okay, that is how the father operates. He always operates through his son. That's the point that Jesus is making. And that's why Jesus, uh, Jesus says at the, at the end of this part in verse 23, he says, anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father. If you don't honor what the son is doing, you're actually not honoring what the father is doing. Because the Father does everything through His Son. Now, this is not a new idea. We've seen this in John chapter 1, uh, in the introduction, okay? That, that Jesus, the Son, is the agent of the Father. The Father acts through the Son. He acts through the Son to bring about creation. He acts through the Son to bring about revelation. So, everything that God is doing, the Son is doing. So, let's come back to our initial question. What on earth is God doing in the world today? The first thing we see is that God is bringing about restoration. He's bringing Sabbath rest to the world. That is what he is at work to do in the world today. The second thing that we see is that God is going to do this through his son. Okay, that's the point that's being made here. God is going to bring about Sabbath rest through his son. So, how is he going to do that? How will he bring about Sabbath rest through his son. And that's what we have a look at in the next part. Um, so have a look at verse 21. Jesus says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son also gives life to anyone he wants to. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all people will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. Okay, so this is what God is doing in the world today. This is how he's going to bring about this Sabbath rest, this 
restoration, how he fixes the world, two things we see. One, through Jesus, he will give life. Two, through Jesus, he will bring judgment. Okay? And why is he doing it through the Son? So that people will honor the Son. And we get an even clearer picture of this in the next few verses. Okay? We see that Jesus, we see a bit of a timetable here. Jesus has come to give life now, and he's going to bring judgment later. Uh, and this is what we see in verse 24. Jesus says, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, has, present tense, and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. I assure you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So what has the Son come to do right now in doing the Father's work? He has come to give eternal life. What does that mean? That means that you will not come under judgment on judgment day. You have right now passed from death to life because you will not be judged. And so we have a spiritual life that will last for eternity now when we believe in the Son. That is the work of God. The work of God is to right now give eternal life through the Son, and whoever has that will not come under judgment. But that's only half of God's work. That's only half of what's God doing. Because have a look at verse 28. He says, Do not be amazed at this, because a time is coming when all those who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good things to the resurrection of life, but those who have done wicked things to the resurrection of judgment. Now, this is really key. Notice, he doesn't say a time is coming and has now come. He's talking about the future here. God is giving us a time, Jesus is giving us a timetable here. Right now, God's work through Jesus is to give eternal life. But in the future, a time is coming, a day will come when he will bring physical resurrection and judgment to the world through Jesus. Okay, so this is really key, but there's one last thing to note. So we've seen what is God's work in the world? It is to bring Sabbath rest. He's going to do it through his son. How's he going to do it? Well, right now he's doing it by giving eternal life to those who believe in him. And on one day he will do it by bringing resurrection and final judgment to the world. Last question, how will God do all of this through Jesus? And we see here it's done through Jesus's words. Uh, So think about those verses that we read out before. How's Jesus going to bring eternal life? It's through his word. Verse 24, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So how does Jesus, sorry, how does God give eternal life through Jesus today in the world it is when people hear the word of God and believe. Okay, It's through his word. And we see the exact same thing for judgment later. Jesus brings resurrection and judgment through his word. So verse 28, a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. The point of all this is, is that God works through his son in his word today. It is as people hear his word that they will have life now. And it is through Jesus' word that people will be judged later. So let's sum all of this up. What's God doing in the world today? He's at work through his son, Jesus. He's at work to bring about restoration, rest, Sabbath rest to the world, make everything right again. But he has a timetable for how he's going to bring about this work. 
What is God doing right now in the world? Well, right now in the world, he is giving eternal life through his son to anyone who believes. That is what God's work is in the world today. But a time is coming when he will resurrect everyone from the dead and he will bring judgment through his son. And that's the, that's the time when he will remake the world, when he will destroy this whole world, well, when sin will be gone completely and everything will be perfect and every tear will be wiped away. That will be God's work on that day. And how does God do all of this through his son? Well, it is through the power of his word. Okay, so let's think about what this means for us. Uh, I hope you see how incredibly relevant this is. Uh, you may be looking at the world thinking, well, this world's all going to hell. What is God doing in the world? Where is he? Why? This world is so messed up. There's so much pain, so much suffering, and I can't see anything that God is doing. And here's your answer. God is at work to bring about rest, to bring about restoration. But there's a timeline. And right now, what his work is in the world is to call people to eternal life through his son. Okay, rescuing people from their sin, rescuing them from judgment. That is the work of, the, that is the work of God in the world today. But there will be a day, one day, when all sin and suffering and pain will be taken away. That will be judgment day. But there's a timeline. God's work now is to call people to eternal life. His work then will be to, be, to bring judgment. And so on one level, we, we can enter God's rest today if we hear his voice, if we believe, if we put our trust in Jesus and have eternal life. We have entered his rest but on another level, we ultimately will enter God's rest on that final day when he judges the world. And, and I hope you see how this is relevant for how we align our lives with God's purposes. Because what should we be doing with our lives? Well, the first thing you've got to ask is, well, what's God doing in the world? And what God is, his agenda for right now is to call people to eternal life through the, through the word of his son. That is God's work. And so that should be what our work is all about. And I think this is a really helpful critique of Christian movements that say, actually, our mission is something other than calling people to eternal life. Uh, so a really prominent one is the social justice gospel. Uh, the, the social justice uh, gospel is really popular at the moment because it fits with our culture, right? We, we live in a real social justice uh, warrior culture where everybody is, is, is wanting to make the world a better place. And if as Christians we can look like that, then that's fantastic. Um, the, but what does the gospel teach? Well, the gospel teaches... That, um, that what is God's agenda for the world today? Well, God's agenda for the world today is actually to call people to eternal life. See, the social justice gospel, it says what, what our mission is right now is, yes, call people to eternal life, but, but that's just a bit of it. Our mission is to try and fix the world's problems. Okay? Our mission as Christians is to eliminate poverty, fight for justice, overthrow oppressors. Uh, actually, the vice principal of Mauling College, uh, Michael Frost, he he wrote an article in Eternity last year where he suggested that the focus that evangelicals have on you know, forgiveness of sins and, and finding eternal life, he says, that's a very middle-class, pietistic kind of focus. And he's saying, it's not that it's wrong, we should try to find eternal life, but actually the, the mission of Christians is much broader and that we should be fighting for social justice and all that today. Now, I want to say we should absolutely love our neighbour. And we should absolutely be caring for the poor and, and helping them and doing what we can to make people's lives better. We should be showing compassion. Jesus shows that clearly. But we shouldn't say that God's mission is to fix the world today through social justice. It, that's just not what God is at work in the world doing. 
Uh, God is at work in the world to fix the world, but he has a plan and he has a timetable. And his plan now is to call people to eternal life. And his plan later is to bring judgment on this world and to remake the world. And so, yes, we should help people. We should love people. But most of all, if we want to be aligning our lives with God's work and God's purposes, we should be out there sharing God's word with people and calling people to eternal life to find rest in Jesus today, because that is God's work in the world today. Okay, well, that is John 5. Um, and what we're going to do now is we're going to have a, uh, we're going to do a segment called Doctrines You Should Know. We've done one of these already, which was on Revelation. Uh, we're now going to look at a, a nice easy one um, called the Trinity. Uh, I love that I'm doing the Trinity uh, on the week where I've decided to do a 35-minute episode. So we'll see how quickly I can explain this. But I do want to unpack some of the ideas of the Trinity because they definitely come up uh, in this passage, at least the relationship between the Father and the Son. So I might talk a little bit fast, but here we go. Oh, that was another feedback. Don't talk so fast, but sorry. I'll deal with one thing at a time. Okay, let's go. So I want to first talk about where this idea of God as one God who exists as three persons comes from. Okay, Then I want to think about what that looks like and finally, we'll have a look at some heresies and see why they're wrong and heretical. Okay, so first of all, where does the idea come from of the Trinity? This is where we need to come back to our doctrine of revelation that we looked at in episode two. Uh, at the heart of the doctrine of revelation is this principle. I need to let God introduce himself to me. Okay, I can't tell God who he is. He needs to tell me who he is. He needs to introduce himself. That's the doctrine of revelation. So, and, and, and what we see is, this is what Jesus is doing. So John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In other words, God introduces himself through Jesus. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That's the doctrine of revelation. We looked at that, I think, in our second episode in Doctrines You Should Know. So what does Jesus reveal? And first thing that we see is that Jesus affirms that there is only one God. So Mark 12, uh, he's asked what the most important commandment is. Jesus reaffirms what's said in Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Okay? So Jesus doesn't come to contradict the Old Testament. It's all God's word. And Jesus says, yes, there is only one God. What you learned about God when he introduced himself in the Old Testament is true. There's only one God. But then Jesus says, and by the way, I am the one God. Okay, I am God. Uh, so he claims to be God, and we see that through John's Gospel, and he backs it up with evidence. Now, we've looked at this before, we'll look at it in the future, so I won't go into it now. But the second thing to understand is, Jesus claims to be God, and he backs it up with evidence. Now, if Jesus claims to be God, he is the one who can tell us about God. That's our doctrine of revelation. What does Jesus reveal? He reveals that he is in a relationship with someone called the Father, and that he's in a relationship with someone called the Spirit. And he calls the Father God, and he calls the Spirit God. Uh, so he's definitely in a relationship with the Father. Uh, he calls God his Father. That's a relationship. Uh, he prays to his Father. And he calls the Spirit a he. Okay, not a th Spirit is not a thing. The Spirit is a person, a he. Uh, he's another counselor. And he, and he shows that the Spirit is God as well. So in John 14, he says, When the Spirit lives in you, the Father and the Son will live in you. So what's Jesus revealing? You put together everything that Jesus is saying, and you say there's one God, but this one God seems to exist in relationship. That there is a Father, there is a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. And they all relate to one another as the one God. 
And so this is really key. Where do we get our doctrine of the Trinity from? It's not from some council that existed 400 years after Jesus. It's from Jesus. Jesus, the one who can tell us about God, tells us that God exists as one God in three persons. Okay, so that's where we get the doctrine of the Trinity from. Let's try and understand it a little bit more, because I understand it can be confusing, can't it? How on earth can God exist as one God, but three persons? And what does that even mean? So let's start with the word persons, okay? The word persons is actually a really confusing word, because it can sound like there's three gods, or that God has three personalities, or that God's a human being, because when we say person, we usually think of a human. It's, it's not an amazing word to use, but it's probably the best word that we have. What the word person is trying to convey is the idea of relationship. Okay? If you say that someone is a person, you're saying that this is someone that I can have a personal relationship with. So when we say that within the one God there exists three persons of the Godhead, we are saying that there are three persons, three members who relate to each other who can have a personal relationship with each other, and then who can have a personal relationship with us as well. Okay, So let's try and think about this more concretely. How does the Father, Son, and Spirit exist within a relationship of persons within one another? Well, let's start with John 5. John 5, we read that the Father loves the Son. Okay, There's a relationship there. Because the Father loves the Son, He reveals everything to Him. Uh, We can imply from this that the Son also loves the Father because the Son only does what the Father calls Him to do. Uh, The love of the Spirit is not explicit, but we do see that love in action. So the Father and the Son love the Spirit by sending the Spirit into the world. And the Spirit loves the Son and the Father when He fulfills their will uh, for, and He does it for their glory. And so what we actually see is within the Godhead, there are the three persons of the Trinity and they all relate to one another in love. Uh, This is why we can say that God is love. See, when we talk about God, we say that we believe in a personal God. Uh, That means a God that we can have a relationship with. And we actually say that at the heart of who God is, is relationship. Unless God existed as three persons, he actually could not be in essence love. Or at least he couldn't be other person-centered love. That's what the Bible says love is. Because there would be no one to love throughout all eternity. But at the heart of the universe is a God who exists as three persons that love one another. Okay? The heart of who God is, is a relationship, a personal God. Uh, so let's think then about how this personal God acts in the world. Uh, so take creation. We're told that God the Father creates the world through the Son. Okay, John 1.3, Colossians 1.16. Uh, in other words, the Son is the agent of creation. He's the one through whom the Father accomplishes His will. But how does the Son bring about this creation? Well, the Son and the Father create the world by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is how the Holy Spirit is described. The Spirit is the giver of life. Okay, John 6, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. So how does God create the world? Well, it is the world is created by the Father, through the Son, He is the agent, by the Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what about Revelation? Okay, how God reveals Himself. Well, again, John 1, God makes Himself known through the Son. Okay, the Son is the one who makes the Father known. 
But we also learn that both the Father and the Son are made known by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the one who will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Spirit is the one that reveals to people who Jesus is, John 16. And so how does God make himself known? He makes himself known through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so hopefully this is fleshing out and making more concrete what it means for God to exist as one God in three persons. Okay, Father, Son, and Spirit. So, lastly, here are some fun heresies to avoid, okay? People who tried to work out the Trinity but got it a little bit wrong. There's so many we could do. We'll just look quickly at two. Uh, The first one is modalism. The second one is Arianism. Okay, modalism. Modalism was a really early heresy, uh, and it basically said if there's one God... Uh, then this Father, Son, Spirit must just be different forms of the one God. Kind of like different masks. It also didn't help that in the ancient world, persons was the word that was used for masks in Greek theatre. But anyway, doesn't matter. The, po- the most popular version of this was, that in the, was saying, well, in the Old Testament, God appeared as the Father. In the Incarnation, God appeared as the Son. And after Pentecost, God appeared as the Spirit. And that's how there's one God. It's just this one God appearing as different things each time. This is obviously wrong. Okay. Firstly, the persons of the Trinity interact with each other. Uh, who's Jesus praying to if they're just different forms? Uh, but secondly, and much more significantly, if this is true, then we still don't actually know God, really. Uh, who is the God behind these masks? You know, you can't have a personal relationship with God if these persons are just masks that are hiding the real God. Okay? Uh, these persons need to be actually uh, the one true God if I can have a relationship with him. So modalism, wrong, but we often think that way even if we don't say it. Then there's Arianism. Uh, Now this was based on the idea that if there's one God, then Jesus and the Holy Spirit can't be God. Okay, They have to have been created at some point. And we get this from passages like John 1.14, where it says that Jesus is begotten. Okay, If Jesus is the Son of God, then there must have been a time when he didn't exist. And that was actually the catchphrase for Arianism. There was a time when he was not. Now, the problem with this is that it simply isn't what Jesus says. Okay? Jesus clearly shows that he's not created. Uh, he was the creator. Okay? Everything was created through him. Nothing that was created uh, wasn't created by him. He can't be a creature. And he is God. He says he's God. Uh, the problem with Arianism is that it's trying to explain one part of Scripture, that Jesus is begotten, uh, by ignoring another part of Scripture, that Jesus is God. So what's the answer to Arianism? Well, the answer early on in Christianity was to say, well, um, you know, the Son has always existed throughout eternity. And so Jesus is not just begotten, um, Jesus has been eternally begotten. Uh, In other words, he has no beginning, he has no end. He just always has been begotten. He always was begotten, he always will be begotten. Now, that's true, but it's incomplete. Because when uh, we hear in John's gospel that Jesus is begotten, uh, that's saying that's not talking about Jesus. Bio- uh, that's not talking about the Son's biology. Uh, that's talking about the Son's relationship with His Father. Uh, in other words, Jesus isn't begotten by the Father because the Father gave birth to the Son, or, or you know, gave birth with someone else uh, to the Son. Or it's not saying that Jesus was created. It's trying to describe the relationship that the Son has with the Father. Okay, so what sort of relationship does the son have with the father? Well, it's a relationship of a father and a son. Okay, Uh, he loves the father. He obeys the father. He submits to the father. He seeks to honor the father. And as the son, he's loved by the father. As the son, he is heir of everything that belongs to the father. We say that in Hebrews 1. So he will rule over the world because he inherits the world. Uh, In other words, 
When John is saying that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, he's making a relational statement, not a biological statement. He's just trying to explain how the Son relates to the Father. Okay, let me wrap this up by showing you how all of this shapes your relationship with God today. Galatians 4.6, Paul says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now that is an incredible statement. Because what we're actually being told is, is that when we put our trust in Jesus, we enter into a relationship with God. Now remember, I'm talking relationally here, not biologically. You don't become God. But what does Paul say? He says we become sons. So we share in the relationship that God the Son has with his Father. His Father becomes your Father. And that means that when you trust in Jesus, the Father loves you just as he loves his Son throughout all eternity. That is amazing. And you become co-heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ as the Son of God, which is everything, belongs to you now. You inherit the earth. And also the Son models our relationship now to the Father. We love the Father. We do everything that the Father calls us to do. Everything the Father has revealed to us, we do. We, in, we enter into the Father and the Son's mission. We enter into their work as obedient sons. That's why it matters what God the Father is doing, what, what his work is. Because just as what the Father is doing, the Son is doing, so now his sons in Christ do as well. And how does all this come about? Well, as the Spirit of his Son enters into us and unites us to Christ, we can now cry out to God, Abba, Father. The life-giving Spirit lives in us like streams of living water and empowers us now to live as sons of God. Okay, well, that's a very, very quick version of the doctrine of the Trinity. So much more I could say, uh, but we'll leave it there. I want to finish by talking about doctrine with kids. Uh, I mentioned earlier on how important it is to read the Bible with your kids, but what about teaching them doctrines? Should we be doing what I just did there with the Trinity with our kids in a kid way? And what I want to talk about is catechism. Catechism is where you teach kids answers to questions that you ask them and you get them to learn it by rote. Uh, when I bought the microphone for this uh, podcast, uh, my son came in and uh, he really liked it. He wanted to try it out. And I've been catechizing him. I've been asked, uh, in the past year or so, I've been asking him questions and getting him to memorize the answers. And so I thought we'd try it out on the microphone, and I saved it just for this. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to now play for you a little clip of my son answering, quest, uh, answering questions with answers that he memorized that I taught him. Okay, here we go. My name is Peter. Hi, Peter, and welcome to the show. Now, we're going to do some questions, aren't we? Okay, so you're going to tell us some answers to some questions I ask you. You ready? Okay. All right, here we go. Peter, who made you? God! <laughs> That's right, God did. And where do we learn about God? In the Bible! Very good. Hey, Peter, in how many persons does God exist? Three. Well done. And who are they? Flower. Yeah? Sun. Yes? Bird. Well done. Very good work. Hey, Peter, how have we treated God? We're not listening to God. That's right, we sinned. We didn't listen to God. And what's the punishment for sin? 
You remember? Death and judgment. That's right, it's death and judgment. And who deserves to be punished? Everyone. Yeah, everyone. It's a bit sad, isn't it? But who died on the cross? Jesus. That's right. And why did he die? To save us. Well done, mate. That is great work. Okay, so that was um that was a lot of fun. And uh, basically all I did was just give him a question each night uh, and teach him the answer and we do it over dinner. And then I reinforce, like for Bible time and and, and bath, uh, we just do the question again. And I do the same question for about a week. And by then he'd learn. I was amazed at how good his memory is. Um, actually, what I'm going to do is I'm going to post some videos on Facebook uh, of uh, of Peter, uh, my son, from about six months apart, learning this, so you can see the progression. So go over to my Facebook page on the Word Grows, and you can watch them. They're really cute and really fun to watch. Um, why do this? I think a lot of people have a problem with the idea of catechism because they think it's not teaching kids to think for themselves. You know, you're just giving them the answers. Um, and they kind of think, you know, why not just read the Bible with kids and let them learn for themselves? Now, big fan of reading the Bible. I think you should definitely read the Bible with your kids. Um, but I think this can be really helpful as well. And the reason is, is that catechism, it doesn't stop kids learning things for themselves. It actually helps them. Uh, what you're doing is you're arming them with knowledge that's going to sit in their brains like metadata, right? Uh, so that when they're older, they'll have this wealth of knowledge that they can draw on. Um, what, what happens is they read something in the Bible, and if you've taught them this stuff, they've got these theological hooks. And so as they learn stuff in the Bible, they can hang them on these theological hooks. So for example, say they're older and they're reading John 5. And it's talking about the Father and the Son. Now they've learned about the Trinity. They've learned that God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit. They see this and they go, oh, cool, I can hang this on my Trinity hook that I've learned. Uh, Jesus talked about the Trinity here. I know that. It actually helps them read the Bible and understand it better. I've actually already seen my son doing this. You know, he will read something in the Bible. He'll say, oh, that's like this, like like the answer we did. Um, so so it, it's really helpful there. It, it also helps them with their critical thinking. It also helps them to think for themselves. Because when you read something that's really confusing, um, if you have some former knowledge that you can draw on, that helps you understand it better, but it also helps you to challenge what you've been taught. So they might read something in the Bible and they might go, oh, that's really different to what I learned with those answers. Um, And so what you actually start to do is, is you start to reshape the answers. You start to think more clearly about what you've been taught and you let the Bible critique your catechism. And so you're actually engaging in critical thinking. But if you, don't, if you don't have any answers to begin with, it's actually a lot harder to think clearly about what the Bible is saying. Uh, th- the point is, doing this doesn't stop, you, uh, doesn't stop making your kids think. It actually helps them think better about the Bible. So I'd really love to encourage you to have a go. Uh, just start with one question. You know, who made you? God did. Uh, and you can work from there. All right, well, we'll finish off quickly with the signs of grace. Uh, One of the problems with podcasting fortnightly is I miss stuff in the news, and I'd already recorded my last podcast really early, so uh, Billy Graham died after that. But I really do want to mention Billy Graham uh, as a sign of God's grace. What was wonderful about Billy Graham? So many things, but I love how crystal clear he was on what the work of God is in the world today. You know, he knew what God was on about, giving eternal life through his son, uh, and he radically shaped his life Uh, around God's work and his purposes. The second thing that I love about Billy Graham is how he was able to get so many different churches, different denominations to all come together and work together for this, uh, for this one thing. Um, And and why did that happen? Why did all the churches come together? Well, it's because they were able to rally around a true common purpose. 
uh, the work of God, bringing people to eternal life. I think this is the key. You know, if you're in a church that, that is a bit divided, you need to come back and see what the work of God is. And you need to rally around, unite around this purpose of, of God is giving eternal life through the Son. That is what will unite you. It's also what will unite denominations. I love it when uh, evangelical denominations work together because they're united around God's common purpose. Uh, sorry, God's purpose. They're united around God's purpose of giving life through His Son. So, I think Billy Graham is a wonderful sign of God's grace and something that we can thank God for, also something that we can learn from. Okay, well, I've hit 40 minutes, so I've failed, uh, but I'll try and do a little bit better next week. I'll try and get it down to 35. That's it for me. Make sure you do subscribe and share, leave a rating and a comment on iTunes, and go over and check out my Facebook page, like it, uh, see those videos. It's The word grows on Facebook. Uh, otherwise, my name's Tom Abib, and you've been listening to The Word Grows.